0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you for tuning in again. Welcome to Where R.A. Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former R.A.s and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at NYU. My name is Jenny, and I'm tonight's co-host. I'm a senior from New Jersey studying global liberal studies and history, and I'm an R.A. at the best residence hall at NYU, Lafayette Hall.
1: And I'm Tom Ellett, your other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs, and I live in Founders Hall. Mm -hmm. They may say that's the best residence hall. Jenny, I want to know why (laughs) Lafayette is so the best. First of
0: all, BLT, the most delicious bacon, lettuce, tomato you will ever know. Great (laughs) staff. Great, great staff indeed. We have so many residents, which means a diverse student population. There you go. A staff of 32, plus the RC, of course, so 33.
1: And? And we just bring so much nuance and excitement. I can't believe you forgot the other addition to Lafayette that's so important. The faculty fellows! Of course! Uh, Okay, you're saving that for later. (laughs) Okay, that's fair enough. So, Jenny, what do you want to do with this GLS degree that you're getting?
0: That's a good question. I chose to study more of a liberal studies type major because i wanted to have an encompassing view of the world and culture and society and translate that to something more of like toward the business route but still in the works tom still great in the works. yeah that's always,
1: and that's a lot of pressure when people ask that especially as a senior. what are you doing next what's next yeah so i didn't mean to put pressure on you at all, <laughs> at all. where did you study abroad
0: i went to paris my first year
1: So you started there. Yep. How was that transition to New York after being in Paris for a year in a small cohort of first year students coming to big NYU? certainly
0: different. I wouldn't have changed my experience for anything, but I kind of threw myself into Paris. Didn't speak French. You knew no French. I watched Ratatouille six (sighs) times before going to Paris because that's all I knew. You know, and then I eventually learned to live there, speak French, understand the climate. And then when I came back to New York, and I remember I'm from New Jersey, right. I had somewhat of a culture shock because I wasn't used to the, the city or the U.S.
1: Right. And so the transition was a little difficult. You mm-hmm. got here, you got inv- involved pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Made and a lot of new friends. That's great.
1: And did you stay close with those students you started out with in Paris?
0: 100%. They are some of my best friends all this day.
1: Great. Well, we're going to have an interesting evening tonight. We have two former RAs mm-hmm, as guests. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us about them?
0: I'm really excited to introduce our guests, Daniel Barker and Rogelio Placencia. Rogelio served as an RA in Carlisle for Charity Hausdorff and Teresa Grande, and Daniel was in Greenwich Hall for Daniel Choi and Isaac Polanco during the 2007 2009 academic years. So, welcome, Daniel Rogelio, and thank you for joining us on tonight's show. It's a real pleasure having you two both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. How did you two meet? I have a hard
2: time remembering if it was in our scholars group or if it was in our dorm because we were in both our freshman year. We lived in Brittany Hall and we were also both MLK scholars. So one of those two things came first. I actually noticed Rogelio in our scholars meeting and then approached him in the the beautiful top floor penthouse study area at Brittany.
3: Yeah, he was making googly eyes at me in the study hall and then came over when we were going down the elevator and said, hey, I think I know you. Six years of marriage, 12 years together, yeah.
1: (laughs) Congratulations on six years of marriage. You are our fourth couple on the podcast, so we're glad to have you, truly. Why don't you tell us, Rahelio, a little bit about what you're doing today in your work? Sure,
3: so... um, I actually made a bit of a niche for myself because I graduated from Stern with a marketing degree, but immediately went into work at museums. Um, the, it was just really important for me to be a, a part of cultural institutions based on my, my own personal passions on art history and creating art. And so I've, I've worked in different museums across New York and in D.C., mostly in membership and in development departments. I was a director of membership at the Phillips Collection in D.C., and then we moved back
1: to New York
3: about a year and a half ago. And now I'm at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where I run the Apollo Circle, which is their young patrons program.
1: Outstanding. And Daniel? Yeah, so I'm
2: currently working in financial services, but on the corporate social responsibility side. So what that means is I make grants uh, and work kind of as a Philanthropism, on behalf of the firm, and identify nonprofit partners that align with our mission and the firm's goals of improving financial security and opportunity. So that's my current job, but my path there was a winding one to the nonprofit and consulting sectors, and also doing some work with government.
0: Awesome. So let's just jump back to your time at Washington Square for a bit not so long ago. If you could encapsulate your art experience into one word,
1: what would it be?
2: Ooh, that's a hard one surprising.
1: Were, were you involved in extracurricular activities?
3: We were a lot, both of us actually. Besides being an RA, of course, I was part of the group that started the Cuban American Student Association at NYU, and I was also welcome leader for Stern's freshman classes and participated in a couple other things around campus.
0: Awesome. So, what was it like to work on a staff at NYU?
2: Working on a staff, I actually worked on a few because I had a few part-time jobs while at NYU. I read that it was particularly interesting just because it involved so many dynamics working with. Obviously, the, what we called, I think, CDE at the time, our, our leader, but also working with residents and then managing that while working a few other NYU jobs and some, and some other internships and things. I think it was the balance between school, work, and also wanting to to have fun as an RA was, was a hard balance to strike, but it was something that... I think, really what prepared us, both of us, well for what, would, what was to come.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and and Dan's definitely understating the amount of work that he did in undergrad because he started quite a few organizations while he was there, which I always love to gloat about. He was
2: very involved.
0: Oh, so like which? I don't mind you gloating, Ohelio. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I uh, started the International Relations Society, which I think is still going as, a, as an IR major. And also, I led the world's longest named club, the South Asian <laughs> Studies Program Initiative, or SASB, which I don't think exists anymore because the South Asian Studies Program was actually established um, while I was at NYU. So, those are the clubs that I was involved in primarily. A few, I'm sure there's a few others that I'm forgetting, but those are the ones I remember. So proud, so proud!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I just have one more question for you too before we jump into your present life. So one of my favorite parts of being an RA is the programming. Um, do you remember any of your favorite programs?
2: One of the best ones is kind of a little bit of a boondoggle on my part, but I was able to take a bunch of residents to see Avenue Q, which was still fresh at that point, and it was just a great experience taking residence to see uh, i guess at the time an off-broadway show that so accurately reflected the future that was to come which <laughs> none of us really realized <laughs> yeah I, I feel like i'm, I'm essentially still
3: doing mm-hmm. exactly Absolutely. that like creating programs for people to engage people right i, I loved partnering with Coreys and did a a Bunger class once with one of my dear friends, Ria, who was an RA with me at Carlisle. And then we went to one of um, RA's Bunger parties. Those were always the most fun. And then sometimes I would would rent the projector and play movies on the giant blank wall in my dorm and just have like a potluck. And those were always really fun too. That's great.
1: Dan, a follow-up for you in terms of the RA position, you had the opportunity to open a brand new facility. Yeah, it was great. Tell me about that kind of first year Gramercy Green and what it was like opening a building. Well, the first part of it
2: was the RAs getting to see the building. We got to see the building and move in earlier. And that first scene, if for those who can remember the real world, it was really like the real world because we all walked in to this luxury building and were just overwhelmed by how beautiful it was.
0: The countertops. <laughs> the
2: countertops, the spaces, it looked like nothing else. The tiled bathroom, um,
1: gorgeous.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> and
1: there's something with the dishwashers too, the stainless steel, wasn't it?
2: Everything was stainless steel. The the microwaves would just hit start and they would, would self calculate. Self calculate how it was. All of those things. And I had the huge benefit of being on the penthouse floor, and the first RA in that RA apartment, so the view. That I had was spectacular and will never be matched again. I I really peaked in terms of real estate (laughs) uh, at at senior year. That was a great experience just like moving into the space and then getting the chance to use all of the spaces, particularly for programming. We had so much opportunity to do things in the, the various common spaces. So that was fantastic and really build a sense of community. Even though we're a giant building, kind of not far from campus, but not close either. I think that was a great opportunity for
0: us. Let me assure you, it is just as new as you left it. Still shiny and a lot of stainless steel.
1: It really is. Tell us a little bit about the skills you gained in the role that you continue to use in the work that you do, though in very different industries.
3: I think in a lot of ways, I'm still doing a lot of the same work that I did as an RA.
1: People skills are the most important thing
3: when you're an RA, but also when you're a fundraiser, being able to relate to people, sympathize with people, make them comfortable, being able to organize people, all those things were very important. And also the organizational skills from those programs that we were just talking about were very important. Managing the budget that you were given as an RA. It's related to every aspect in my career.
2: And really, like I said people skills. The thing I'll jump on is also managing crazy. <laughs>
3: oh, you can say that
0: again. <laughs>
2: that is as important a lesson as you can learn as an RA because you could deal with some really strange situations yeah. and that will continue in your work life. Absolutely. And you just have to just, like... Grin. Grace and charm. Yeah. Take, <laughs> take, it in, take it in stride and address the problem and keep it moving. It's definitely something that you learn as an RA.
1: When you think about the transition from being a college student to the workforce, how was that moment in time, if you can go back, to think about it? you know, How did you prepare yourself as Jenny is a senior right now getting mm-hmm. ready for that mm-hmm. process? What advice would you give?
2: Well, we j- graduated into a recession, not just a recession, but the Great Recession. So both aspiring to work in the nonprofit field. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and honestly, the lesson that that taught us was that the best laid plans are don't always come to bear. And we really learned how to be resilient from that. And I think that's something we learned at NYU and also how to hustle. And we, yeah. the transition to doing work was actually not. The hard part, because having been RAs and also had internships and jobs on campus, we had managed that part. I think it was the part of the financial realities of, of working. We both worked in nonprofits at the time, was a challenge for us. These are paying loans. We were both well prepared to do work. I think our experiences at NYU and RAs in particular prepared us well for, for that. Yeah. That just really learning that you you can't. There's only so much you can control. And taking the opportunities as they come is the the thing that I, in hindsight, even though I don't think either of us realized we were doing it, that's what NYU taught us and I I think has continued to serve us both.
0: So, Daniel, early on in the show, you mentioned that you kind of have, you know, different work experiences before you got to BlackRock. So I was wondering, what was a pivotal time in your career that really shaped your professionalism?
2: Honestly, my, my first job out of undergrad, I worked at the Council on Foreign Relations, which is a think tank and research organization. I was a researcher focused on global health and economic development. And the commitment and, and devotion to excellence and had everything needing to be perfect and things being less than perfect, being a problem was a huge learning lesson for me. And I think a lot of high achievers and ours are definitely in that camp. Are used to being praised, particularly in school and throughout their their time in school and getting into a real work environment. And getting feedback was hard at first because you spent time getting great grades and doing all the things and checking all the boxes. And and work is not like that. So that that first job and learning that there was a real value on dotting all the i's and crossing all the t's in addition to actually the content of the work that proved a real transformation to me in addition to the fact that where i had was really privileged to work at that kind of institution and got a lot of exposure to some of the best and brightest minds in, in global health and economic development that i wouldn't have in, in a different scenario
1: Helio, you you have to do a lot of asks working in a nonprofit. how do you approach that i mean you've talked a little bit about your people skills but you know, that's a hard thing to ask, except when you have passion for it. And obviously you do, but how do you go about that process?
3: Well, that's an interesting question. So most of my career has been in membership, which is more on the mass mailing, mass communication, sort of marketing and development work. What I've learned is if you're stewarding people well, by the time that you make the ask, nobody's surprised and, and they're inclined to, to step up to the opportunity. So whether that's, you know, just making sure that, that folks are engaging in what the institutions are offering immediately, that, that the impact institutions are having is visible, that if you're just sending them a nice thank you note come Thanksgiving or New Year's and letting them know that they're, that they're appreciated and that they can feel the gratitude for their support, when you come to the opportunity to engage them for a higher ask, I think that, you know, everyone's primed.
1: And, and what, you know, you talked a little bit about the cultural context of wanting to work in a place like a museum. How is that different from other kind of uh, nonprofits?
3: That's a great question. I mean, for me, it was a desire to be in the arts. So I've, I've always drawn and painted, always been really important to me, to my identity. My first internship was at a gallery, and I thought, well, this is the business of art. And I thought that that might combine that, the academic experience at Stern with that personal passion for art. And it didn't quite do it. What I went for my second internship was at a museum, and what I realized was I needed to be around art, but I also wanted it to be in an institution that used art as a tool for engaging people, that was open to educating people, that was available to the public, and that made an impact. Those are the two things that sort of led me to focus my career around museums, art museums preferably, but, you know, museums and cultural
0: institutions. Yeah, it's really admirable that you translated your passion into your career. So, Daniel, I'm wondering, did you have a similar experience or did you find your passion as you were working and, like, through these different roles?
2: You know what I'd honestly say? I'm still finding my passion. For me, it's a continually evolving process. The important things that I was very curious about, research and i was interested in foreign policy broadly and that's what led me to the council on foreign relations and some of my initial work in global health and economic development which led to my next job at the earth institute where i was focused on, on global health once again and then saw a real need in the nonprofit sector for some strategy and management skills and thought maybe i need to go to the private sector to get some of that so i went to deloitte and did consulting and then thought how could i apply those skills still in the nonprofit setting but having some connections to social impact, which led me to BlackRock and the social impact team at BlackRock. And each one of those experiences I learned, what I'm good at, what I'm not really interested in. I did not have the, the same exact focus that Roel had on a, on a particular passion area. He got into an internship at, a, at the Met and knew that's what he wanted to do. I knew that I had a wide range of interests or kind of geared around international development, but wasn't as focused on how I was going to get there. So I think that's another important lesson that you don't have to have all the answers and you will not have all of the answers when you <laughs> graduate. But as experiences have come up, I've been able to identify you know, which pieces of something I'm really interested in and really what I want to learn next. And that's continually an evolving process for me.
1: I think for both of you, I'd ask the question, what are the changing issues facing both your industries today?
2: The
3: role that I take in at, at the MAP focuses on young patrons right and developing the community of future leaders for these institutions and i think writ large every museum is has been thinking about the next generation of, of philanthropists and donors and it's a, it's a it's a big question i don't think any any organization has figured it out just yet there are formulas for engagement but you know how do we how do we keep folks how do we make them passionate how do we make them a part of the community and then also you know how do you transition people from those young patron groups that focus on their 20s and 30s into the next level of giving. So it's something I've done in other jobs, but now my
2: full focus in this new career, hopefully we we'll are finding some answers for the Met soon. Yeah, and defining my industry as social impact, I think the challenges are really around moving forward, given the range of challenges that exist. How do you make choices and what how do you best represent whatever your role is in, in social impact and I think there are a lot of thinking to be done about how uh, each sort of group presents itself and then really how you choose and make choices about where you want to focus your time energy and resources
0: so we were wondering are there specific books that you would highly recommend relating to your industry or just favorite personal reads this is for our listeners as well not just for me and Tom
3: I feel like I've gotten most of my training from conferences and interpersonal relationships. I can't I can't say that I can recommend a, a book. There's lots of magazines and online magazines that are fantastic, but I can't think of a book. Most of most of my reading is fiction.
2: <laughs> and and my work largely focuses on financial inclusion and asset building. So I don't know that the in the book that I have been going back to all year has been Financial Diaries, which is actually a book that was co-authored by an NYU professor. And so that is a book that covers really the financial challenges of low income working Americans. And even though it is particularly relevant to my work, I think has a lot of relevance for for anyone who's interested in the social sector in the United States. And so Financial Diaries, and I think there's already that NYU connection there.
1: What are you both most proud of? so far in your career? I
3: had a really wonderful experience overseeing the membership team at the Phillips Collection, and we did some amazing work there, both in growing the membership base, a group of donors to the institution, and building out the Young Patrons Program, which we created an acquisition fund, which just recently made its first acquisition of contemporary artists, living young artists for the institution. And one of the committee members who worked with me, the the years that I was there at the Phillips is now on the board, so an amazing success. But I think actually the the thing that felt most rewarding was the wonderful team that I created or was a part of building. We were small, we were about four or five people. We were just so supportive of each other and and so committed to making a difference for the institution. It was a wonderful experience and definitely the most rewarding thing that I've done in my career so far.
2: Yeah. And for me, I've been thinking of a project that I worked on when I was still focused on global health. And it was uh, it was a hard role to be in when you're focused on something like global health that has real impacts on people's lives. But I was focused on it from a, a policy lens. And there was a moment when it really... Sort of something that I was able to work on really felt like it was a, made a point of connectivity. Working in sub-Saharan Africa on global health security response and we we're able to, through some of the policy work that we were working on, we we're able to connect um, ministries in, in a country that had never previously connected. And that was a really powerful experience because it was you could see that through those connections, they would be able to respond to their next challenge in a way they hadn't before. For me, that was a chance to see you know, turning research and policy into something that was actionable. So that was a, that was a great experience.
0: Wow, yeah, Raholi and Dan, you obviously both have done incredible work so far. So I'm wondering, from your undergrad years till now, where has been your biggest area of growth? You uh, got it with a hard question.
1: <laughs> I throw the softballs, she lobbed them in, and she throws the fastballs.
2: <laughs> yeah, the biggest area, there's are just so many areas of growth. The biggest one that I can think of is self-awareness. And that comes in so many different shapes. It's you know knowing what drives you in a professional sense, and a personal sense. And it's also knowing how you relate to other people, how you impact other people, and really trying to understand that. The first few years out of undergrad, I mean, are particularly challenging as you figure out some of those things and then learn learn who you are and learn how you are as an adult and and as a professional. And then you also learn the pieces of that you really want to amplify and, and can start where you can start investing in yourself to make you the best version of that professional that you want to be. And that, that I think comes a little bit later. It's rewarding when you get to that point where you can say, these are my strengths and I know that these are my strengths and this is where I want to grow. definitely takes a lot of work to get, to get there and it takes a lot of active self-reflection. And the people that I've learned from and the best managers that I've, I've ever had have been incredibly self-reflective and thought a lot about how they impact the people that they're working with, not just their work. And that's something that I'm trying, I'm trying every day to incorporate into how I operate.
3: Oh, that's a beautiful answer. <laughs> I'm not,
2: I'm not going to say anything. After it is, it is.
1: Do either of you stay in contact with other RA or senior staff alums? And this is the time for shout outs.
2: Daniel Troy, who recommended us, yes. is, even predates our, our RA days when he was our mentor from MLK. And we saw him recently and keep and mm-hmm. in touch with, with Daniel. Certainly, Daniel has served as a guide for me in terms of What a professional looks like, and what both from a he always had everything together, but it was always also approachable. And kind, even behind that steely exterior, and those uh, those looks that work out right through you when you say something stupid. <laughs> I've kept in touch with Therese
3: absolutely, who's just always so warm and welcoming. And I definitely owe her a call. I'm, I'm a little overdue. I and mean, I've also kept in touch with some some friends, Ria and who I mentioned earlier was one of my partners on programs when we were both RAs. Um, is still a good friend. And even though we haven't lived like near each other in in a long time, we, we you know still so keep that connection. It's, it's wonderful.
1: I think it's now time for speed round. Ooh, Jenny, I have ready? some
0: juicy questions there for both go. of you. Okay, so let's be honest here. Colombia or NYU?
2: NYU, 100%. All right,
0: perfect.
2: Did either of you go abroad? We
3: both did. We went to Madrid together, actually.
0: <laughs> nice. What is your go-to karaoke song?
3: I'm actually the karaoke person, so I'll have to answer that one.
2: It's rolling in the
1: deep. <laughs> Favorite NYU <laughs> professor teacher?
2: Gabriella Ilyeva uh, was my Hindi professor. And we haven't been in contact in, uh, recently, but had her for four years at NYU and had such a great experience. She would bring us up to the board and tell us to expose our shame in hindi which is, sounds horrible and it was for the first few weeks here in her class which is fantastic
0: okay um okay what about this one where is your dream vacation
2: thailand and that's the one that we oh, that's a returning trip that's a returning <laughs> trip and honestly <laughs> I say because we whenever we talk about places we'd visit again it's thailand it's got I everything know. beach nature amazing urban
0: i've been to bangkok and Cochang
2: that's amazing food food food, 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 food yeah food.
0: And the last question for the speed round, if money, prestige, and skill sets weren't pertinent and didn't matter at all, what career would you have wanted to go into? I'm very lucky in that I would continue
1: to do exactly what I'm doing now.
2: And I always said that the thing I would do is open a high-end Caribbean food restaurant.
1: Well, let us know when you do, because I'm <laughs> sure you're going to have Money is No Object someday. Uh, finally, what was your most memorable RA experiences?
2: I had a resident who was visiting London, and she asked me jokingly if I wanted anything. And I said these very specific store-bought pies, <laughs> um, just because I it was the first thing that came to mind. I had no idea that she would actually go and get them because it was really like... Not an easy thing to find, but she actually brought them back right after Christmas break. And that was just something that just like stuck out to me. It's a fairly, you know, the connection between RA and resident, it can be great or it can, you know, not be not so great. You're kind of in a role of authority and you don't necessarily think that people are going to have that kind of connection or bond with you. So that's something super little that I still remember. I had generally for the two years I was
3: an RA at Carlisle, I never had any issues with any of my residents. They were all wonderful and it was a quite a charmed experience but for some reason what's coming to mind now is that in in my last job s- someone came in an external partner for an event that we were doing and we just looked at each other for a bit like you're familiar but i can't quite place you and we did that thing of like well where'd you grow up no uh well where'd you go to college oh okay you? all right well um hmm, well what was your major? No. Well, where did you dorm? And we finally realized that I was her RA. Had a, really, had a really wonderful kind of like reunion and it was really sweet.
0: Yeah. Well, Dana and Rogelio, thank you so much for joining us this evening. A lot of the things that you said, I really took it to heart. I'm sure our listeners will as well. And it was just so much of a pleasure speaking with you too. Thank you again.
1: It was great to meet you as well. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Really appreciative of both your time. I know you're busy. And uh, again, you're highly recommended by Chris Stipek as well. Oh, Hey, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) To be on the show. And, And thank you for your time. We are blessed to have alums like you who are giving back your time to help really talk about the journey of life. So Thank you. And I want to also give special thanks to my engineer, Juliana Fonseco Alesso, and the current professional staff and alums of NYU who assisted these phenomenal RAs, Dan and Rogelio, in their skill acquisition along the way, such as Charity and Therese and Isaac and Daniel and Chris. If you like the show, look for more content on the website. And if you want to know RA's favorite books, like those who listen to tonight, I have their list, whatthey'rereading.blogspot.com. Until next time, be the best professional and person you can be as we build communities that help enrich the lives of others.